people more. Well, this morning, I want to speak to the idea that we were born into a spiritual darkness that we could not overcome. I don't think this is a surprise to anyone because not only are we surrounded by spiritual darkness every single day, but the darkness lives within us. No, I'm not trying to go Darth Vader on you, okay? But, but what I mean is that we were all born with sin. And even as Christians, we are in a process we call sanctification, where we're constantly battling with our desires, our emotions, our thoughts, in terms of what are sinful thoughts, what are selfish thoughts, what's motivating us, what is true, what is truth. Where are our loves directed toward? And so we are surrounded by spiritual darkness, but spiritual darkness also lives within us. Spiritual darkness is something we wrestle with. We were born as fallen creatures into a fallen world. But there is something different between us and Jesus Christ who came to this earth and became 100% man. Like us, Jesus sees the sin and evil that we see, but unlike us, there is no evil in Christ. There is no darkness in Christ. And so today we're going to see that his soul is troubled. Why is his soul troubled? His soul's troubled because he is going to enter into the darkness. Not only is he going to recognize the darkness around him, but this darkness is going to come upon him because soon after our passage today, Jesus is going to go to the cross. The Son of God was sent into a world of darkness to accomplish God's mission. And today we find ourselves in a juncture in John's gospel. And I want you to see a snapshot of the heart of Christ as he prepares to go onto the cross where he will bear the darkness of human sin and the shame for sin. I've entitled our message this morning, The Cross. Mission, Victory, Invitation. The Cross, Mission, Victory, Invitation. If you have God's word, meet me now in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, John chapter 12. Verses 27 to 36. John 12, verses 27 to 36. There's going to be three points that we see today. In verses 27 to 30, we are going to see the mission of the cross. In verses 31 to 33, we will see the victory of the cross. And finally, in verses 34 to 36, we will see the invitation of Christ. So the mission, the victory, the invitation. Point number one is the mission. The mission. If you'll notice now in verses 27 to 30, in verses 27 to 30, I want you to notice this. I'll need the, uh, the AV team. Yeah, thank you. I don't have the clicker this morning, so you'll just advance, just follow the Holy Spirit, go with it however you feel led. If you notice starting in verses 27 to 30, let me read this into your hearing. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Is that what should I should say? But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I've glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. The crowd 
that stood there heard it, and they said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. You know, when we think of the cross, naturally we think like humans. Our souls should be troubled by the thought of crucifixion as well. But when we think of crucifixion, what troubles us is the notion and the horrors of physical torture. Could we agree with that? When you think of crucifixion, you think of the horrors of suffocation, the horrors of shame, the horrors of, of, of nails and stakes being driven through your wrist and your ankles. But can I suggest to you this morning that physical pain was not Jesus' greatest concern? Now, let's not take anything away from the, from the physical suffering and the emotional distress that comes with crucifixion. But Jesus' greater concern was something much heavier. There was a devastating weight that pressed down upon his soul. That's why his soul was troubled. There was the weight of divine judgment. Jesus on the cross would bear the full weight of God's holy wrath. And, his, and the wrath of God would crush him. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, speaking of Jesus, that he was crushed for our iniquities. He was crushed for our sins. And that's why in verse 27, it says Jesus' soul is troubled. And then he says to his father rhetorically, this is a rhetorical question. He says, Father, save me from this hour. Because up until this hour, Jesus has experienced perfect fellowship with God. I just want you to understand that. If you're a Christian, you and I, we have fellowship of God, but we still struggle with sin. So there's many moments in a day where we're not thinking in our consciousness according to the will of God. We might read our Bible in the moment. We might pray when we need to, but we're not always thinking in fellowship with God. We're not always thinking of the love of God. There are times where we do love God. There are times where we love ourselves or we love the world. But I just want you to think of Jesus Christ and it is the perfect love of God that he's experienced all his life from eternity's past. All he's ever known is the inseparable union with the perfect love of God. If you're a child, you have experienced the love of your parents, imperfect love. If you're a parent, you love your children. But our love for people is imperfect. So just imagine perfect love, everlasting love. And on the flip side, Jesus, the one who has experienced nothing but everlasting love, perfect sinless love, is now going to go on the cross and bear and experience holy, righteous wrath, the eternal, the devastating, yet justifying wrath of God the Father. He would experience for the very first time his father being ashamed of him. Not being ashamed of him being the son, but having to be ashamed of the sin that he is bearing. Jesus Christ is bearing all of our sin and some of the most grotesque sins of people who would come and believe in him. And the, and the father symbolically cannot bear to look upon his son. So there's going to be a temporary separation of the Father 
and the son. And so that's why he's troubled. So in verse 27, he asks a rhetorical question in his prayer. Father, I'm in anguish. But in a sense, he's saying, what am I going to say? Am I going to say, take the cross away? And he quickly answers his own question. No, because it's for the cross that I took on human flesh in the first place. In fact, why would I ever ask you, Father, to take away what I came to earth to accomplish? He's reminded of his mission. And he says, Father, display your glory now through my sacrifice. That's what Jesus is essentially saying. In the moment of distress, in the moment of trial, he's reminded of God's purpose and his purpose. Now, I want you to notice verse 28. God speaks. The Father speaks a voice, an audible voice that comes down from the heavens. But verse 30 tells us that this voice was not for Jesus' reassurance. Again, Jesus reassures himself. Right? He tells God, God, I'm troubled, Father. And then he quickly tells himself, but why am I troubled? Because this is the reason why I came. He's human. His, he is 100% human, 100% God. His humanity is being put on full display that he's terrified at the fact that he's going to go to the cross. Yes, he understands the physical suffering, but more than anything, his divinity is put on display because only the Son of God up until this point would understand the terror of being separated from God. You and I are born into sin. And until we're saved, we don't know what it means to be separated from God. We don't know the horrors of living for a lie. There are people who are never going to believe in Jesus, and we keep praying for them, and we keep praying that God would do something to soften their hearts, but they will go through their entire lives being separated from God and being fine with it, being happy with it, and not knowing the terrors of what it means to live for a lie and to be lost in darkness. Once again, let me repeat, we were born into a spiritual darkness that we could not overcome. But, but Jesus knows his mission. And so God speaks, but yet many of these people don't understand it. And this is what God says to him. God says, I have glorified it, meaning your life, and I will glorify it again. And what's he talking about? God the Father is saying to the people on behalf of his son, I've glorified my son through his miracles and through the signs. Yet many of the people still are blind to his identity as the son of God. I have glorified it, and I'm going to glorify it again, the Father says, on the cross. And so verse 30 is very clear, that this voice of reassurance was for the crowds. But here's an interesting question. Here's an interesting question. If this voice was not to reassure Jesus, but if this voice was audibly heard, and if it was to convey to the people that Jesus is the Son of God, then why don't they understand it? Why don't they understand it? Some people are saying, it's thunder. It's thunder. Well, th those people must be from Oklahoma City because it's not thunder. Okay, it's the voice of God, right? Some people are saying, oh, it's an angel. So they're hearing something, but they're not understanding it. That doesn't make sense. If the voice was for them, why don't they understand it? Well, the answer is simple. Later in John chapter 12, next week's passage, it tells us that many people will still not believe. They're in that darkness that they cannot overcome. 
That in fact, next week's passage is going to tell us very clearly that God the Father hardened hearts and blinded eyes so that they would not see and their hearts would not believe. And it was for God's divine, mysterious purposes. But we can be sure of this, that everybody who actually comes to believe in Jesus Christ is going to understand what these words from heaven mean. Now, I don't know what happened exactly, but maybe Jesus later pulls aside some of his disciples who already believe in him, but they don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them yet. But Jesus explains to them, that's what that voice said. That's what it meant. That's what it was for. It was to affirm that God is going to glorify me on the cross, right? Maybe that's what happened. Maybe some of them who believed in Jesus already had the, the uh, ability to understand these divine words. But I'll bet that most of the people did not understand until they received what you and I receive. And you know what that is? The Word of God. The Apostle John is inspired by the Holy Spirit. After Jesus dies, after he resurrects, sometime later, John takes his pen, inspired by the Spirit, and he writes down for us exactly what we see in our scriptures. These, this voice came from heaven. Here's what the voice said. Here's what people thought it was saying. And here's what it really means. And so every believer is able to understand eventually as the gospel of John is penned, distributed around the early church, and they're reading it. And what does that tell you? That the only way to overcome any darkness, the only way to even understand God is special revelation. Get this, Jesus Christ comes. God the Father glorifies him. Jesus Christ performs miracle after miracle, sign after sign, declaring himself eventually clearly to be the Son of God. Yet the Jewish people who knew the Old Testament, they still refused to believe. What more could he do? Even God speaks from the sky. I mean, how many of you would be terrified if a voice came from heaven? You're like, was that you, Siri? No. Did I butt call my Siri? Well, who's speaking? Oh my goodness, it's not Alexa. It's God. And we wouldn't even understand apart from special revelation. The Spirit of God speaking through the pen of of a human biblical author written for us to understand and the Holy Spirit saying this is true. And that shows us once again, we were born into a spiritual darkness that we in our own ability could not overcome. And Jesus's mission was, go, was to go to the cross, to go into that darkness and to achieve victory over that darkness. That leads us to point number two. So point number one, what we saw was the mission of Christ, the mission of the cross, I'm sorry. Point number two we see in verses 31 to 33 is the victory of the cross, the victory of the cross. Let me read to you verses 31 to 33. <clears throat> now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Verse 33, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So there are some things that are very clear here. There are three things that Jesus declares victory over. First, verse 31, 
over the world, over the sinful world system. Secondly, over the ruler of the world, over Satan. And thirdly, over our sin, our sin. People who believe is that he's going to be lifted up and people who could not come to God, even though God comes to them in the flesh, even when God speaks from the heavens, they can't understand. All of a sudden, they're going to come to the cross. They're going to be drawn to God because Jesus achieves victory over our sin so that we're no longer blinded. Now let's exposit each one. Now is the judgment over this world. We know that we are born to face judgment because we're born into sin. But God says, I see the problem of sin and I offer a solution. God the Father offers salvation through what? Through the cross of Christ. So if anyone rejects Christ and rejects that offer, they subject themselves to judgment. That's what it means. Now is the judgment of the world. Jesus Christ is going to go to the cross and bear judgment for sin. Anybody who rejects the cross puts themselves back under judgment. But if they receive Christ, they achieve the victory over judgment that Christ achieves. So by Christ going to the cross, he's, he declares himself victorious over the sinful world. Now uh, it says, now will the ruler of this world be cast out? Now you and I know that Satan is defeated, but Satan is still roaming around the world. You got to remember, Satan is not God. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at one time. He sends his demons to do his work, but Satan is still active. He's still going around deceiving people. That's Satan. He's still going and accusing believers to God the Father. He's still active. So what does this mean he's cast out? This means that the power of darkness over the believer is lifted. That's what it means. That Jesus Christ has victory. And he declares victory over the darkness. And those who believe in him, remember we were born into a spiritual darkness that we could not overcome. But the son of God overcomes that darkness. And we who believe in him, the power of that darkness is lifted and we can see that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We can see right from wrong. We can see truth from error. We can see idolatry from what we really need, which is the God of this world in the person of Jesus Christ. We can see the reality of the gospel. And that's what he means, that the ruler of this world has been cast out. But furthermore, at the end of the book of Revelation, it speaks of a time where Satan will be cast into the lake of fire forever. He will be cast out because the victory was won on the cross. Verse 32, when it speaks of being lifted up, 33 tells you very clearly that it's talking about his death. So when he's lifted up here, I'm lifted up from the earth. It's not talking about his exaltation into heaven. It's not talking about his ascension into heaven. It's talking about him being exalted onto the cross for crucifixion. Because that's what, that's what it says in verse 33. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He's going to be crucified. But then he says, but when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw who? All people. That needs to be explained. All people to myself. Clearly, all people is not teaching universal salvation. Jesus is not saying, I will draw every single human being that's ever lived to myself in salvation because case in point is this very passage. There are Jews who will never believe in Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. There are Jewish leaders who are evil and they want to murder Jesus. They will never believe in Jesus. 
even when he reveals them, himself to them. They will never believe. There are on the, on the other side, there are people who will believe in him. So when he says all people, he's talking about not just Jews, but Gentiles. He's talking about all types of people. That Jesus Christ will be lifted up from this earth, and he will draw people from every corner of the earth to the cross. Different types of people. Jews, Gentiles, young, old, Greek, Scythian, barbarian, people of all types and all ages and all races will come to Christ because of the cross. So he's so we see that he has victory over the sinful world, victory over Satan, and victory over our sin. People who were lost in darkness, who could not see Christ, all of a sudden will come to the cross and worship Jesus as Messiah because victory has been declared over our sin. That's what it means. The Son overcomes the spiritual darkness that we could not overcome, and that's why the invitation to God is not, hey, believe in God the Father, it's if you want to believe in God, you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because he's the one who overcame the darkness for us. And that leads us to point number three. Point number three, we see the invitation of Christ. Verses 34 to 36, we see the invitation of Christ. Let me read to you starting in verse 34. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up. Who is the Son of Man? Verse 35, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. He's lost. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you might become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. <clears throat> now, verse 34, it reveals that the Jews are blind to Jesus as their Messiah. You see, they know the Old Testament. That's why they answer him. They answered him. Many in this, in this crowd here in this context, they're Jewish, Jews of his time. And they said, we've heard from the law. And law here, capital L, this is not talking about the first five books of the Bible. Why do we know that? Because they're referring to prophecies about the Son of Man. So in this context, they're referring to the law as the entire Old Testament. So it is in the books of Isaiah, Isaiah 9, verse 7. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, verse 25. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel 7, verse 13. It's not important that you write these down, right? But Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, right? And so in these books, it speaks of the Son of Man coming back as this glorious Messiah. And so one thing is certain. These Jews are starting to understand a little bit that Jesus is saying that he's going to die. And they're beginning to understand that. That's why they're asking, how can you say you're being lifted up? I thought that if you're the Christ, I thought that the Old Testament teaches that the Christ remains forever. That the Christ is going to establish an everlasting kingdom. So how can you say that the Son of Man, the Messiah, is going to be lifted up? Who's the Son of Man then? Who's the Son of Man? And then verse 35, Jesus answers to them. 
he doesn't really answer their question. Instead, he says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. Because he knows that they can't believe. They can't see. They're blind. You see, they could not conceive in their minds. That, therefore, they could not believe in their hearts in a crucified Messiah. They are absolutely correct about the Old Testament. That the Messiah will come in glory. The Messiah will come and establish an everlasting kingdom. But they're expecting that now. They want a Messiah who will ride in politically and become this military king, not too far off from King David, and to overthrow the Roman Empire and to make Caesar into a salad so that, they can, so that Christ can sit on the throne as king over Israel. That's what they want. Well, they're not wrong about that. They're not wrong about that. That's going to happen later during the second coming when Jesus returns as the glorious resurrected Son of God. But right now, He comes as the Son of Man. He comes in human form. He comes as 100% God, 100% man, the Son of Man, to die for the sins of man. Man meaning humanity. He comes to die for our sins the first time. And He comes to be lifted up. And by lifted up, He then eventually will be the resurrected king, and ascend to his heavenly throne. But they're not going to understand this. But instead, Jesus gives an invitation. He gives an invitation that is beautiful. Because he describes that those who believe in him will no longer live in darkness, but we will become sons of light. Verse 35, Jesus invites the crowd to trust in him as Messiah, and he refers to himself once again as light. And he's saying, basically, I'm not going to be with y'all very long. You guys should trust in me while I'm here. Now, obviously, this is before the resurrection. In John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, a little bit in John chapter 15, Jesus is going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so we know that when Jesus eventually goes to heaven, that he's going to send his Holy Spirit to represent his presence here on earth. And the Holy Spirit is going to speak to believers, draw believers to salvation, seal the hearts of believers, and help us and empower us to live the victorious life in Christ. We understand that. But up until this point, in this point in New Testament history, Jesus represents the presence of God at that time on earth. So he's telling them, you have the presence of God among you. You need to believe because this world's full of darkness. You need to believe in the light. Now, we understand the, the, the metaphor of darkness. I don't have to say too much about it. When it's dark, you can't see. When it's dark, you're lost. You need light. Sometimes you need different degrees of light. There are times where you need the big floodlights because you just need that much light, right? Other times, you just need a little bit of light. You need a dim light just to lead you around a room. And we need different types of light. Sometimes you need fire. And there's different types of light. There's different sources of light. But at the end of the day, we were not created to live in darkness. Darkness is not good. Sometimes we've grown accustomed to love darkness because we're born into darkness. We're born surrounded by darkness. You pull up your phone and your feed is filled with darkness. But if your eyes aren't opened spiritually, you will not recognize darkness. You swim in it. And so you need light. And he's saying, look, you got to see that I am the light. But here's where we see the power of the gospel. 
We're going to see in next week in John 12, verse 46. But I invite you just to scroll up or down on your phones or to look over at verse 46. Now let me read this to you. Jesus says, next week's passage, he says, I've come into this world as light. Why? So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Well, God, that's pretty hard to say because even if you save me a Christian, I live in a world full of darkness. So what do you mean? I'm in darkness. Everyone around me is in darkness. And if we're believers, yeah, we have light, but we still struggle with sin. So what do you mean? How do I not remain in darkness? He says, no, no, no. I came into this world so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And the answer to that is the understanding of sons of light. Well, before we get there, I'm going to get there in the application where we start preaching. Okay, but right now, let, me, let us continue to do some teaching. Look at verse 36. It, it demonstrates this weird, weirdness that Jesus hides. Right? Jesus is funny sometimes. It's like he's playing hide and seek. Right? It's like he's playing, seek me. Everyone come find me. Seek me and you will find. And then he goes and he hides. You better pay attention. You better come to me while I'm here, right? He says, while I'm walking among you, come to the light. And then he goes and hides. I mean, well, what are you doing, Jesus? You want us to find you or not? You said this voice from heaven is for the people, but they don't understand. What are you doing, God? Well, this is along the lines of judgment. This is along the lines of judgment. You have to appreciate the fact that you and I have our Bibles and that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Because I want you to see what's happening in verse 36. Let me read to you verse 36. It says, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Right? Uh, and then the second part of verse 36, if you have the ESV, it kind of jumps that into the next section. If you have the Christian Standard Bible or uh, another Bible, it kind of adds the second part of verse 36. I chose exegetically to take the last part of verse 36 with today's passage, okay? So here's what it says. It says, when Jesus had said these things, you better come to me while I'm here, he departed and hid himself from them. Why would you do that? You only do that when you know that you're preaching to deaf ears. Jeremiah, come to the stage. Jeremiah, testify. Jeremiah, the prophet, will say, yeah, God told me that I would preach to a people and they will never believe. They will never believe. Isaiah, come to the stage. Testify and preach. Isaiah comes to the stage. Yup. God told me to go and speak to a people who will never believe. But yet I continue to speak to them because one day there will be people, there's always going to be a remnant, and there will be a pe people who believe. That's what Jesus is doing here. He knows it. He says, while you have the light, believe in the light. But I know that you're too lost in darkness that no matter what I say, you're not going to believe. And he hides away from them. And that's a sign of judgment. Basically, I've revealed the Messiah to you. And if you've rejected the revelation of God, then you've rejected your way of salvation. But Jesus knew something better. And this is the gospel hope. He knows that some of these Jews, they will never believe until the work is done. When I go to the cross, I will be crucified 
and darkness will come over the, the, the land temporarily. And I will enter into that darkness. I will bear their sin. I will bear their shame, Jesus says. I will die for them. Then when I rise from the grave, victory will be declared and the scales will begin to fall off some of the eyes. And then they will see. He knows he has to go to the cross. He, know, he, he knows he has to go to the cross because something has to happen in the hearts of these people that can only happen after his resurrection. Only a new creation can see out of this darkness. I want you brothers and sisters to understand this. When you speak to an unbelieving world about social issues, when you speak to people, they will, don't fight them with anger because they cannot understand unless they're a new creature in Christ. They just can't understand the things that you and I might stand on, right? I mean, you and I, we understand. We care deeply about violence in the womb and violence in the schools. We speak to all issues of life, but sometimes when we speak, people will not understand fully that's where we need both conviction and compassion. But even with compassion, people need to become first new creatures. And so let me give you the big idea, and let me just preach after this. So the big idea of this morning is the Son of God overcame darkness on the cross so that we could become sons of light. The Son of God overcame darkness on the cross so that we could become sons of light. You see, we were born again into a spiritual darkness that we ourselves could not overcome. But Jesus, he faced the darkness. It troubled his soul. It weighed him down. It crushed him. He was crushed for our sins. But on that first Easter morning, he overcame. The light of the world broke through the darkness of the grave. John 1, verses 4 to 5 says, In him was life. And the life that is in him, not the life that's in us, the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We were born into a spiritual darkness that we could not overcome. Only Christ on the cross overcomes the darkness. The darkness could not overcome him. The darkness came over him. The darkness came around him. He bore the darkness of sin. But the darkness has not overcome it because the only way you could defeat darkness is if you are sinless. And there's only one man who's ever lived who is sinless. And it is through him that we gain this newness of life. So yes, we're surrounded by spiritual darkness, born into spiritual darkness. But if we trust in Christ, if you trust in Christ this morning, his light will break through the darkness of your heart and you will overcome in Christ. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, come into the light. Right? Let's just say you live in a dark room and he's in the room with the lights on. He doesn't just say, come to church. You hear what I'm saying? I'm preaching to some of you this morning. He's not saying, just come into the light. He's not saying, hey, I see you in the darkness. Let me put a light on you. He doesn't just shine the light on you. What does he do? He puts the light in you. 
He puts the light in you. That's what it means to be sons of light. You're born again, recreated as a new creation. We are a new creation in a fallen world. That is the only way we see truth. Is that this world has fallen. It's an old creation. So what Jesus does is he, he has a race of people, his church, that are born again as a new creation. And we go out into this world, not as people of light, not people who have sat under light, not people who have lights shined upon us, but people who are sons of light in a world of darkness. He sends us as a new creation. Let me read to you a passage that you may be familiar with. So just listen. You don't have to read it. Just listen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the dark waters. And God said what, church? Let there be light. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And so when Jesus says, hey, walk, he says in certain passages, walk, walk, uh, while I'm walking around this earth, it's day. But soon it'll be night. The darkness is going to come upon him as he goes to the cross. Believe in me while there's light. Believe in me while he's here. But that extends into us today. Believe while Christ is offered, because when he returns, he'll no longer be offered, right? Believe in him while he's offered. And so what God does right now is he looks around the world, and he sees fallen humanity. He sees each of us, and he looks at us. And for those of you who believe, he looks into your heart, and that's exactly what he does. Every single time someone comes to saving faith, he looks into your heart, and he says, let there be light. And he says, let there be light. Let there be light. And then what what does he do with our hearts? He gets in there. He starts separating your sinful desires, the darkness from your passions and desires. He causes your heart from loving the world to loving God. He says, you used to love lies. You live for lies. Now you live for the truth. From people who are under slavery to sin to sons of God. From children of Satan to children of God. So he separates the light from the darkness. How? He's got to do that work in our hearts. That's what he does. He takes our troubled soul. He bared it and he gives us the peace of Christ. He separates the sin within our hearts and it's a process. And he makes us sons of light. Sons of light. Furthermore, if you go out not as his agents, I know that you can look at the Bible and there's all kinds of great descriptions and metaphors. Yes, we are ambassadors of Christ. Yes, amen. Yes, we are sent as messengers. Yes. Yes, we are people of God. True. Yes, we're heralds and proclaimers. True. But the most precious as we are sons, meaning we are daughters and sons, we're children of God. 
God has a vested interest in your life, so much so that he died to purchase you as his child. And so you must not have fear when engaging in a dark world. Let me talk about vested interests. I used to be in youth ministry. It was wonderful. And there's something natural that happens in youth ministry, and this is not a criticism. Every four years, you'd have these parents. And these parents, they'll do anything for you for four years only. They, I'll, I'll, you, I'll drive, I'll cook. What do you need? Counselor, retreat. What, what do you need? I'll do it. And then once their kids graduate, hey, can you drive? Oh, yeah, I just moved on to something else. Yeah, and, and they're gone. And that's okay because in youth ministry, you got another four years of another parents, right? Uh, another set of parents. But what is it about that? Is it these parents have a vested interest in the success of the youth ministry because their kids are the beneficiaries of their efforts. But once their kids are done, their vested interest is removed. Well, it's really different when God the Father says, I want to make people my sons. And he puts his own son on the cross to die for you so that you'll become his sons. And then Jesus Christ himself dies for you to purchase you so that you would become his son. Don't think for a moment that he is now going to send you out into the world as light and allow the darkness to overcome you. Because he has a vested interest in your life. That's why he doesn't just send you out just as messengers and missionaries, but he sends you out as his sons, his children of God. Because he's always had a vested interest in you because your success in terms of being light in this world is his mission now. That's why Jesus died, so that you would be saved and other people would be saved to the glory of God the Father. There's no questioning about this. And so as sons of light, we must engage this world, but it is tricky. This world is polarizing. This world is filled with tension. This world is filled with violence. This world is filled with depression. And, and then we go in as these sons of light. We go in where we're called to be in the world but not of the world. We are not called, if, unless you know, somehow God calls you in the mission field, but we are not called to retreat from dark places. We should not go into dark places to be tempted into darkness, but we are not called. I am not called to retreat from California. I'm called to stand my ground in this state to be salt and light. And I pray that that would be your call, regardless of the cost to our pocketbooks that we don't like what we pay to Caesar. We are called to stand our ground and hold conviction in dark places while not being overcome and taken into the darkness. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We, as light, we have to have separation from darkness. Anytime darkness hits light, light exposes what is dark. We have, as sons of light, it's not, that's what I'm saying, it's not you go into the light and out of the light, okay? It's not you shine a light and then you close the light. You are sons of light, the light's in here. That means everywhere you go, you're going to touch darkness, and some people are not going to like it. You're going to expose darkness. At the same time, a dark world needs light. A dark room needs light. 
And so that means we got to be winsome, conviction and compassion, knowing how to use our light, being trained that sometimes I got to turn on the SWAT team light and expose them. But other times, uh, it, the light's still there, but I got to, it's a different light that I use because I'm speaking to a person who will never understand. So I'm using words of wisdom and compassion. We must not be afraid to stand our ground in dark places, but we must be equipped to shine as light in dark places. Again, this is a fine line that applies differently to all of us. But that is the message, that the Son of God overcame darkness on the cross so that we can become sons of light. Let me, let me end with the gospel. Simple invitation. If you don't have Christ, I beg you, Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross, he was lifted up to draw you to himself. He died for your sins, he rose again. If you don't have Christ, please turn to Christ now. Believe in Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thanking you for making us sons of light. Father, I pray, Lord, because we know that we live in dark places, but this world needs you. How else will they believe? Lord, we see in this text that even when you spoke, when your father spoke from, when you spoke from heaven about your son, and when your son did miracle after miracle, people were lost in darkness because we're born into darkness. Help us to be born again. Father, I pray that if there's anybody in here this morning who doesn't know you, that you would cause them to be born again that they would confess their sin and turn to you and that you would give them hope and life and love because it's only through the cross that we overcome. We overcome because your son overcame. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.